on the screen in just a moment when we get there. But if you'd like to, to turn to Ephesians, that, that, would be, that would be great as well. Um, from, the moment, from the moment we meet our children, we start talking to them. Uh, I've had the privilege of visiting many of the moms in this church right after they've given, uh, they've given birth. Many of the children that are sitting here who are now young adults, I was present shortly after you were born. And my first thought is always, what a, what a beautiful baby. What a beautiful baby. Babies are like puppies. They're, none of them are really ugly. Uh, some may be prettier than others, but I think every baby in its own way is, is a beautiful, beautiful child. And as soon as moms start speaking to their babies, to their children, uh, they speak words of life over them. I, I've never, I've yet to hear, hear a mom scold and rebuke a newborn baby. Like, where have you been? What, look what you've put me through over the last nine months. How come it took you so long to get here? I mean, we don't hear words like that. Fast forward two years. And not all the words we speak are life because many of them come out of the frustration of life. But words are life. Moms, I know that as I preach this message on words that the tendency is automatically going to be to feel condemned. And I pray that that is not the effect of today. But as I speak this for mothers, fathers, this is a word for everybody, but especially, I believe, uh, for mothers who speak words over their children, to speak words of life. The Bible is full of examples that there's the power of life and death in the tongue. Uh, I look back over my life, and I, I can honestly say that the person who encouraged me the most, who spoke most of the words of life that were spoken into me, was my mom. Uh, She uh, really encouraged me, pressed me forward, was a woman of God, and spoke words of life. And whatever your past may be, where you are now, I want us to project to the future to speak words of life. Now, I also understand that men and women uh, have different needs when it comes to words. Um, uh, Sociologists tell us that women speak many more words, almost double, than men. Um, there's a need for sharing in words. I have a friend who, uh, when he and his wife start talking, he just starts saying, less words, less words, less words, because <laughs> he doesn't want quite as many words. Bring it down. I'll tell my wife on occasion, hey, babe, uh, let's go with the Reader's Digest version of this story. Just cut to the chase, uh, and then tell me what you need from me. Do you need help? Am I, is this a listening thing? Uh, what are, what's my responsibility in this conversation right now? I need, I need to know what's going on. Because if not, I, I, I'm going to make the wrong move. I'm going to either give advice when the advice is not asked for, or I'm not going to give advice when she needs advice. I, I, I cannot, after even 26, almost 27 years of marriage, get it right. But words are really important. And we, we all say some of the dumbest things, words that we wish we could 
pulled back. And this phenomena is not limited to us. Some of the smartest people on the earth say some of the stupidest things. Joe Keenan was president of Atari in 1976, and he said the following words to someone in his office. Get your feet off my desk. Get out of here. You stink, and we're not going to buy your product. He said that to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak when they came in to try and sell him their earliest version of Apple computer. Steve Ballmer, who was the Microsoft CEO in April of 2007, said the following, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share, no chance. And not to think that people at Apple are immune to saying stupid things. Steve Jobs, in an interview for Macworld Expo in 2008, when he was discussing the Amazon Kindle, said uh, something that is a little more... <laughs> I don't, is your version... Oh, yeah, it's all screwed up, too. What he said was, the whole, con- the whole conception is flawed at the top because people don't read anymore. Within two years, Apple launched its iPad to compete directly with the Kindle. I mean, we say dumb things. And again, we're not the only ones. Very smart people will say stupid things. Ephesians 4.29, I believe, gives us some direction on how to manage our words. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, you may be thinking, this is one of those unreasonable passages. You know, every, some, every so often, I, I know, we get to a passage and it is so, whoa, off the top that we're like, there's no way he means that. Now, this passage is taken just a little bit out of context in the sense of Paul is speaking in the larger context of grace. He's saying, hey, it is grace you have been saved, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Now you've been brought from death into life. Walk every moment as, a, as an instrument of God, walking out the grace of God in your life. And then he gets to our speech and says, let your speech be seasoned with grace. Watch the way you speak. Watch the words come out of your mouth. Our, our words are, are like gifts. They are like the gift of grace, uh, but they're going to either lead people in a direction toward life or they can bring about death. Many of us today are overcoming the words that somebody spoke to us a long time ago. Amen? I mean, somebody somewhere either told you something that built you up or something that tore you down. And many of us are still battling those words. Most of us don't remember the good words, but those bad words that were spoken to us, they have got hooks in our heart if we're not careful. I want to encourage you, this is not about how to get those hooks out of your life, but this is more of how can I impact the people around me with the words that I speak in the days ahead? How do we raise up young men and young women that when they leave this place are going to see the kingdom of God expand around them? 
How are we going to see them uh, accomplish all that God has for them without their lives being uh, train wrecked and derailed? Here's, here's what I would encourage us to do. First, and all of this is based on Ephesians 4.29. I'm just going to take it apart. First, our speech should be guarded. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Okay? Here's this twofold beginning. Avoid unwholesome talk. Don't speak negatively. And instead, speak only what is helpful in building each other up. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to do the opposite. Our first thought many times is a critical thought. And so we speak that critical thought about something that is wrong with something, and instead of building up, it actually tears down. And we say things, and we think things like, oh, it's just words. It's just words. You know, we, we think of that stupid rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will crush the life out of my soul. Words will never hurt me. It's just not true. It is not true. We, again, the power of life and death is in the tongue. When I was in high school, uh, and this is showing my age greatly, uh, I, was, uh, I was in love with Karen Carpenter. Um, she didn't know it um, because she didn't know I was in existence in middle school. But uh, there's something about her voice I, I loved from the outset. It was a kind of deeper voice and richer voice. Um, Karen Carpenter uh, died in um, 1983 as a result of heart failure, the result of anorexia. And her, her battle with anorexia, though it, like anything, you can't always pinpoint it on one event. But here you have, um, I, I think, someone who is undoubtedly one of the most popular, well-known, wealthiest and admired singers of her generation who struggled with weight because uh, in a review in a magazine, it called her Richard. Uh, Richard Carpenter was her brother, and the Carpenters were Richard and Karen. It, it called her Richard's chubby little sister. And those words, I mean, they, for whatever reason, and, uh, you know, reviewers they think they have a free reign on things, and we do too at times. But sometimes those words, the enemy will use anything he can to tear us down. And so our words, we want to speak words that are life rather than death. Listen, communication is hard, is it not? I mean, sometimes we say something and the other person hears something entirely entirely different than what we intended to say. Communication is not just what we speak, it's what's heard. Uh, there are so many famous examples of American companies that translated their slogans into foreign languages that were utter failures. Uh, just, just a couple of examples, Coors Beer, not, not that I'm advocating Coors in any way, but uh, uh, back in the, I think it was in the early 90s, had a, had a phrase uh, that said, turn it loose, um, uh, an ad campaign. When they translated it into Spanish, it came out, suffer from diarrhea. <laughs> Here, drink this beer, suffer from diarrhea. 
HSBC Bank was forced to rebrand its global private banking operations after um, bringing a U.S. campaign overseas. In 2009, the worldwide bank spent millions of dollars to scrap its five-year-old, it it was, their phrase was, assume nothing. But problems arose where in many countries it was translated, do nothing. So you can imagine how a bank, how it went from assume nothing to do nothing. Kentucky Fried Chicken translated its uh, phrase, finger licking good, into Chinese, and it came out, eat your fingers off. Schweppes tonic water had to change its entire name because when translated into German, Schweppes tonic water came out Schweppes toilet water. (laughs) Here, want a bottle of... And not every translation going from English into a foreign language, uh, Electrolux, the Swedish vacuum cleaner company, when it translated its phrases into English, it came out, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. (laughs) Braniff Airlines in 1977 wanted to advertise its leather seating. Braniff was an airline, it's no longer in existence, and you'll know why, because uh, it's first class seats, they were some of the first that were outfitted in leather And so they had this fly in leather campaign. When they translated it into Spanish, it came out fly naked. (laughs) Come to our first class, fly naked. Hey, listen, communication is hard. It's difficult, but we need to take it seriously. We need to not assume, but instead we need to make sure that our words are guarded. We need to think more about what we say. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this, I tell you this, you must give an account on Judgment Day of every idle word you speak. Is that not one of the scariest passages in the whole Bible? I mean, I want to go back and relive many, many, many days and words. The words you say now reflect your fate then. Either you will be justified by them or you will be condemned. Now, Jesus is not saying that ultimately your destination to heaven or hell is determined by just every little misspeak. He's talking about ultimate words of life and death. But he's saying, at the same time, you're going to give an account for the words you speak. If I thought about that every single time I ever said something, my speech would be cut in at least half. Our speech needs to be guarded. Second point is this. My speech should have a redemptive impact on others. Here's the second part. If our speech is guarded and we're going to keep our speech from saying negative things, and we also need to make sure that what we're doing is speaking words that bring life to people. Again, looking at Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And again, I could have hammered that first phrase for a long time, could I not? I mean, there's a lot of unwholesome talk that has come out of our mouths over the years. But only is what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. He's saying my speech should build up, it should meet needs, it should benefit others. And I put in your outline just uh, three quick ideas about as you consider your speech. I must consider the person. Who is it that I'm talking to? 
I'm going to consider the person in order to build them up. Uh, in, uh, in other words, uh, my speech to build up Annalise and my speech to build up Mark Colvin, they may not be the same kind of speech. One is a 17-year-old girl, one is a something old man. And so my speech with Mark, I'm building up again, right? Uh, my, speech, my speech should uh, bring life. But I've got to consider who is it that I'm speaking to. They have different temperaments. Uh, Mark and Phil are not that far apart in age, but I'm going to speak differently than Mark than I am to Phil because he's a different person, right? So it's not like I just say the same thing to everyone. I need to consider the person that I'm speaking with. Second, I need to consider the problem. By problem, I mean what is their need? What is it that the person needs according to their needs? that I'm wanting to speak into them and give life. I need to pray about it. I need to ask God's wisdom about that person and that situation because sometimes they're not going to say what their need is. Sometimes I need insight from the Lord. I may not get a full picture, but have you ever been with a person who you know very well, but you just sense something And you feel like you're supposed to say something that's going to bring life. But then you think, oh, this is so stupid. If I say this, uh, it just makes no sense. But you you say it and it ministers incredible life to them because God is doing something in their heart and life. Or maybe they're just in a place of wounding that you would have never known. But God has given you a word of wisdom or insight into that circumstance or situation. Now, if you feel uncomfortable saying that, you can even say... Look, I don't know if this makes any sense to you. If not, just let it fall away. I'm just supposed to, I feel like I'm supposed to say this. Usually it's better if it's an uplifting word than a corrective word. I'm talking about speaking words of life, something to build them up. But still, you need to speak. You need to hear from the Lord. You need to consider their need. And third, you need to consider the process. How is it going to benefit them or impart grace? How can... You understand, right, that tone of voice matters? Do y'all, do y'all realize that? You know, saying, hey, sweetheart, I love you, versus, yeah, I love you, is a whole different kind of I love you, right? I love you as I love you, but it's not the same. The process matters. Tone of voice matters. How you deliver it matters. Ask God for wisdom. What is it that's going to be to build that person up. I read last week about a woman who had a serious throat condition and she had to take three months, three months of total vocal silence. So she had children, so she had to write out the messages that she was going to give her children. At the end of the three months, she came back and said she had more crumpled pieces of paper. Well, once she wrote it out, she realized this is not good. How many of our words would be changed if we had to write them out first and read them? Uh, that is not so. That is not so good. We need to know what's building others up and be careful in our hearts and minds what we think even toward other people. This past week, um, I went down and visited my dad. My dad was having some health problems the week before, and so I felt like I should go see him and make sure he's doing okay because I know my dad's not going to listen to this tape because my dad lies to me. Um, 
when I ask him how he's doing, uh, he'll tell me, you know, what he wants me to hear. But I, I know at times he's not being totally honest about, you know, like my dad's 82 or 83 now. And I keep telling my dad, dad, don't get on the roof and blow off the leaves. But uh, nonetheless, he'll, he'll let something slip when he's talking to me at times like, yeah, I had to get the leaves off. And then he stops, you know, like he realized, oh, wait a minute. I'm about to tell him I was on the roof again, uh, blowing the leaves off the roof. So this past week, I was down visiting my dad. And uh, on Monday evening, I took my dad and my aunt and my uncle who live next door um, out to dinner. Now, have you, uh, uh, please, I'm not being ugly to people who are over the age of 80 here today, but have you ever been in the car with three 80-year-olds? There is no shortage of people telling you how to drive. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, every, every, everything was, hey, there's a guy turning over here. Hey, 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 there's a guy turning out over here. Hey, we're going to turn right. I've been to this restaurant. It's only one turn to get to the restaurant. I mean, I, I drive on my dad's driveway. I go on this road. I go straight, and I end up at the restaurant. I mean, it's no big deal. Hey, you're going to want to turn left in about 7.2 miles uh, you might want to get over in the right lane. I mean, it's coming from all angles the entire time. And we get to this, the place, it's like, hey, don't turn in the per- first parking lot, turn in the second parking lot, and then there's better spots right over here, the closer to the door. And uh, 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 don't, don't, don't park there. It's going to be too close to that truck. I think he may hit you. I, I mean, it went on and on all the way, <laughs> all the way into the restaurant. And so in my heart and my mind, I just think, just be patient, keep smiling. You know, I just want to say, hey, boy, shut up. I'm, I'm going to be fine here. I can get there to the restaurant, and we're going to be good, but I'm trying to be life-giving and thinking about, I'm contemplating what it must be like to be old. And So we get in the restaurant, and they get the menu, and they start ordering off the menu, and, you know, it's a whole dialogue about what we're going to order tonight. Yeah, I had the oysters last time. I'm going to get this this time. I don't want to get this. And so then the lady comes, and she's taking the order, and the... the she takes the order from my, my dad. Yeah, I want the senior shrimp, and, you know, they have a senior section on the menu, so everybody over 80 is getting the senior menu because it's a better deal. So the senior this, and the senior that, and the senior that, and I'm like, well, you know, that senior thing's a good deal. I should order off the senior menu. I'm being all jestful, and the lady goes, how old are you? And I'm like, well, I'm 56. You're good. I, I, I was like, wait, I am not in their category. I mean, I went from like this toughed up to humbled in like, how did I get here? I'll take the senior shrimp too. Dude, it was a better deal. I went for it. Our, our speech should have a redemptive impact on others. It should build them up. Your speech, your speech betrays what's in your heart. And we should be looking out for others' needs, not for our own. Now, listen to this carefully. How much of our speech is for our own benefit? I mean, think about it. You know, I just got to say this. I just got to get this off my chest. No, you don't. No, you don't, because this is, this is not for you. Your speech is about them. 
Now, if it's going to build them up or it's got a redemptive purpose, but if it's just you venting or you getting it off your chest, if it's all about you, if it's all about your pride or puffing you up, or you sounding funny, or you sounding intelligent, or you sounding whatever, maybe you should pull it back in. There are so many countless examples. Brian Tonin is a, one of the three tenors who's very famous, um, and he was born with a condition where his legs uh, were not properly formed, and the doctor said to the mom, he's never going to walk. And the mom uh, basically said, and he was he, one of the Irish tenors, and he was, um, his mom said, he's not learning the house till he le- he's not leaving the house till he learns to walk. And it became a motivation for him, not in an ugly way. It had a redemptive purpose in that you can overcome. You may be in a born with this condition, and so now he has prosthetic legs, but he, he's, he, in the early 80s, before he was a famous tenor, he became one of the um, gold medalists in the Special Olympic Games for the handicap. I mean, he overcame in a big way. He became a doctor. He became a famous singer. But it really was the words of life. You, it may have sounded harsh, but the, the words had a redemptive purpose. Hard words don't, I mean, words just because they're hard doesn't mean they shouldn't be spoken, but they should be spoken in a context of life. Tend your words carefully. They really do matter. It says in the Proverbs, self-control means controlling the tongue. We should write that on our fridges. Self-control means controlling the tongue. If you can't control your tongue, you don't have self-control. Third and final point is this. My speech should glorify God. My speech should glorify God. Years ago, I saw this prayer. I shared it with our congregation probably a decade ago, but it's still a great prayer. Uh, It goes something like this. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been nasty or selfish or even indulgent. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to need to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need all the help I can get. That's the way most of us feel. It does not take long from when our feet hit to the floor till we say something we wish we could take back. Maybe we should begin our days in prayer glorifying God because it puts us in the right disposition to control our speech and to speak words of life. To ask God, how are we going to be able to speak life to people in the days ahead? Psalm 71.8 says this, My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. How long? I mean, how much of the day? All day long. I should be declaring. And again, in the psalm, I'm just reading you various passages in the psalms. I will bless the Lord, what does it say? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 19:14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're we're to be a people who praises God all the time. Praising God and speaking words of life to people, I think, does bring glory to God. When we speak to one another in our marriages and to our children, if we speak words of life, I think it ultimately brings glory to God. 
Psalm 141, which should be a prayer of many of us, says this, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Today, I want to encourage you in these truths to ask God to help you guard your speech. Put put a guard over my lips, over my mouth. Let me speak words of life. Let me extend grace to others in my speech. May it have a redemptive impact on the people I'm around. And I pray that my speech and everything that I do would glorify God. Now, this is a message for not just moms, but really for all of us. Amen? Because we all need to, at times, reorient ourselves. And to not excuse our words, but instead to speak words of life to those that are around us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray today, acknowledging that we need your help in this area. If indeed, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, then Lord... Many of us need some radical heart surgery this morning. That our hearts, the hurt and the bitterness and the anger and the pride and the junk that infills our heart that then comes out of our mouths would be cleaned up. Lord, I pray that indeed a guard would be set over our lips. I pray that we would speak words that build others up. We would speak words that glorify your name. And that we would cut off words that cut down or are not wholesome in any way. Lord, we acknowledge your presence and your power and your glory here this morning. Lord, again, I want to pray specifically for mothers, for all the women of our church, that God, you would just move in them today. Lord, I pray that every place where the enemy would try and bring condemnation over this message, oh, like what a failure you are those words would be silenced. Instead, we would stand on the grace and the glory of God to say, I'm going to speak words of life into my family, to my husband, to my children, into my relationships. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that comes in your name, for the grace that is a gift to us. And I pray that our speech would be seasoned with that grace. Lord, I pray that right now as we come to a time of giving, where we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us, that God, this would be a declaration that we are yours totally and completely, including the words of our mouth. Especially the words of our mouth. They are yours, Lord. Direct them and use them for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't God good? I mean, he really is good. Hey, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to take up an offering. And if you're a guest here, you're in no way obligated to to give. But what we would like for you to do is take out, there's a white card in your bulletin, the worship folder that was handed to you. There's a white card in that. If you could take the white card out and fill it out, it's called a connection card. Fill it out and put it in the offering. When it's passed, we would appreciate it. 
we're not going to hassle you, but we would like to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, and you're, especially if any specific prayer request, put it on your card, and we'll pray for that this week. If you're a regular tender at fullness, you know to put on that card any prayer requests that you might have. And listen, if you're here today and you made any kind of decision through the time of worship or through the spoken word that you would like a staff member to contact you about, uh, just put that on the card as well, and we'd be more than happy to uh, give you a call and contact you in some way in the days ahead. Uh, Let's worship God through the giving of an offering. Thank you.